a cuppa and a good chinwag? The story has real-life stories to inspire and make you smile. Weekdays on Vision and on demand in the app. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, it's undoubted that there are huge challenges that face Indigenous Australians and those who are living in the Northern Territory. All sorts of challenges facing young men and young women. And there's a lot of those challenges unveiled and discussed in a book called Called to the Centre. Vivian Wilson has been our guest on 2020 before. Vivian and Central Australia, uh, they go hand in hand after Vivian once was a third world aid worker with World Vision and then turned her sights to working in Central Australia. Vivian joining us now to talk about her book and about those challenges that are going on in the centre. Hi Vivian, welcome along to 2020. Hello, it's good to be there Neil, thank you. Vivian, you've been working now in Central Australia for quite a long time and uh, you've worked with World Vision overseas in third world countries. Uh, You've worked with Teen Challenge. These days, your ministry revolves around a organisation that's linked to one of our favourite people on the station. Of course, that's Steve Grace. Tell us about your links with Steve. Okay, I've known Steve for many, many years. And actually, I first met him when I was in uh, Papunya, which is an Aboriginal community in Central Australia. And uh, what happened was uh, he came and did a concert uh, for us there. Uh, that was probably back in about 2000 and uh, maybe, uh, no, yeah, in 1996, I think it was to 99. Now it's right. And with that, Steve Grace, uh, we had that relationship over the years and kept connecting. I left to, to go back to Africa, but uh, when I went back to Central Australia, and later on, uh, Steve knew that I was uh, in Alice Springs, and uh, I had been asked whether I'd like to uh, to join Desert Song, which naturally Steve Grace, being a musician, he has an amazing connection with a lot of Aboriginal people all over Central Australia. I don't have those skills, but what they wanted to do was to train up Indigenous uh, leaders and they knew I had skills in drug and alcohol issues. They knew I had skills in health uh, as well. And so uh, they thought that maybe it would be a good idea if um, I would pray about it and think about it if I would join Desert Song. So it took me a while to come to terms with that because um, I wasn't really quite sure what God was telling me to do because I was still with Teen Challenge at that time. So it's a ministry, it's called Desert Song. What sort of things are you doing with that? Because, uh, yes, you're training up leaders, but all of these skills that you bring to the table, dealing with people who are struggling with petrol sniffing and suicide and uh, the challenges that young Indigenous girls are facing, how does that all fit together in uh, in the ministry Desert Song? Okay, well, uh, when I was with Teen Challenge, what I was doing was uh, a little bit different from other teen challenges in the fact that most of the things I did was an outreach. So I uh, didn't actually have a big rehab. I had a house called the House of Hope, which had four bedrooms, and we had people in and out, young ones, uh, just a small number at a time, maybe two or three girls at a time. Uh, but what my main work was actually going to all the schools, particularly the Indigenous schools, and we did a shine self-esteem program, making the girls feel that they have value and worth, that they've got strength of character and there's a purpose in life for them. And we would intersperse this with things like doing hair, makeup, 
um, collage of their lives, trying to get them to think into the future. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's sort of one program I was doing, but I was also doing uh, an adapted 12-step program. And, of course, you can't do it like the normal way people do a 12-step program, Alcoholics Anonymous, because it just wouldn't work here. Uh, it, you know, you can't say, oh, I'm Joe Blow, I'm an alcoholic sort of thing. So what I did was they're very visual people. So I turned all the steps into a visual presentation. So we used DVDs and songs and all sorts of things, a way of getting those wonderful steps into a presentation that can really get them to think about it when they see it on the TV or hear it in the song and see if they can apply that to their life. It's to, sort of to get the aha factor where they sort of come to terms with, oh, yeah, maybe I could do something about helping myself through this mess. Vivian, most of us wouldn't understand just how difficult and widespread some of these issues are in Central Australia. How do you, when people say, how bad is the petrol sniffing, the alcoholism, the challenges that young Indigenous Australians are facing, how do you describe that? Well, it was very bad when I was there in 1996 to 99 in Papunya. And in my book, I actually call it Borabilla because I didn't want to insult the community uh, with negative sort of stuff. But uh, in any case, uh, what was happening was at that time, there was a huge outbreak of petrol sniffing. And I actually um, was ministering to up to 33 sniffers on and off. And I actually know 16 of those sniffers that actually either died from suicide or they died from inhalation, um, you know, under the influence. Uh, so uh, there was, it, it was absolutely tragic. And uh, I was, you know, like, found it very hard to keep going strong. But actually Steve Grace would pop in then. I wasn't with the uh, Desert Song then, but pop in and some of the songs he would sing uh, and we'd have a quick chat would encourage me to never give up and just to keep going because you sometimes feel like you're getting nowhere. But over the years, this has changed. It's not petrol sniffing the problem. It's marijuana, ganja, uh, they call it. And also, of course, you've got your problem now with some of the communities. Uh, there's ice that's come into some of the communities. I personally haven't dealt with that particular drug myself personally, but I certainly have with the alcohol and the and the uh, marijuana and the petrol sniffing issues and glue sniffing too. Vivian, you say when you're involved in these types of ministries, for you it's a real outreach and you're Mm. coming with a message of hope for these young people and young Indigenous Australians. How receptive are they to that message of hope when you bring it uh, in amidst the opportunity that you have to lend a hand and help them through some of these challenges? It's not a very easy, but I think anyone who wants to do Aboriginal ministries has to give the, uh, lots of time and building relationships first. You'll never get anywhere unless you've got a relationship. Because I've been down to the rock, uh, Murujulu, and we, I saw some sniffers sniffing there, and I sort of tried to talk to them, and of course they didn't know me from a bar of soap. So, of course, I didn't really make any impact whatsoever, really, with that group. But when you live with people and they know you and they know that you take out grandma uh, bush tucker hunting and they know that uh, you collect firewood for them and you'll have people over for a cup of tea and even the kids over, the sniffers come over, uh, you build that relationship. And so when you're speaking into their lives, um, then uh, they, they, they are more likely to listen to you and they know I love them. And uh, so I suppose that's what it was. And I also believe I was anointed at that time to actually speak into their lives because 
it's it's uh, probably some people would think I'm very foolish actually, uh, telling petrol sniffers to hand over their can uh, because they can uh, actually you know can become silent. Uh, but most of the times I say to them like, if you give me your can, I'll give you a, a CD of Steve Gray singing. Or I'll give you an apple or something. And most of them would say, yeah, that's a good exchange. And so I would do that because some of them were just either bored out of their brains or peer pressure causing them to, to do this. Uh, but the sad thing is it starts off as a game like petrol sniffing does. But in the end, it gets to their brains and, and they forget things. But it's also uh, somehow or other, I would feel it's very demonic, actually. And the kids end up feeling like somebody's telling them, voices telling them to kill themselves. And that's sort of what was happening, actually, when I was there. But fortunately, that's not as bad now because they put uh, another organisation very uh, was very good. Kalis is the name of it. They put, uh, you know, advocating for putting into the petrol stuff that makes it non-sniffable. So all the fuel that around here is non-sniffable fuel. So that certainly has helped the petrol sniffing issue, but it hasn't stopped the fact that kids are still getting into trouble with something else. And Vivian, your story and these types of issues are raised in your book called Called to the Centre. Uh, how long has it been on the market now and, and what sort of reception have you had from people who've had a read? Uh, yeah, it's not been on the market that long. Um, but I believe that people say it's a very easy read. It's uh, not too long. And pick it up and can read it in the night if you want to. If you um, And some people have felt led to do that. They just sort of can't put the book down. Uh, because it's something that they had no uh, knowledge of. You know, I thought, wow, this is happening in Australia? You know, we've got these major, major issues, and uh, we didn't know about this. And uh, so for them, it's uh, kind of can be quite fascinating and sad as well for some to pick up the book and read it, yeah. Vivian Wilson, our guest, she's the author of the book called Called to the Centre. We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking a little time to talk to the author of a book called Called to the Centre. Vivian Wilson is our guest. Vivian has worked as a third world aid worker and now works in Central Australia, working with young Indigenous people, both boys and girls, and she's got lots of stories to tell. Vivian, the book is called called to the centre, what is this calling that you can describe as to why you ought to be responding to perhaps a voice that says you need to be there working with these young people? Yes, it definitely had to be a calling um, because it's uh, something that I hadn't really envisaged. What what happened was I was over in Liberia in Africa with World Vision and I just finished a stint. I left my bags all in the Kenyan office to pick up and go to Sudan. I was going to do a similar um, program with community development, health education sort of uh, side of things. Um, and what happened was I came back for a break, and while I was there, I did an alpha course. And on the alpha course on the weekend, it was, it was a spiritual retreat time. Uh, some of these showed me the Australian newspaper. And on the front of the Australian newspaper was a kid that I knew from Papunya sniffing petrol. And I thought, I can't bear this. You know, I was there in Papunya, uh, 1996 to 99. And uh, so I knew them from when I did those health programs. And I said, oh, this is terrible. Somebody's got to do something about this petrol sniffing business. And, you know, never thinking it was me. And so I said to the Lord, I said a quick prayer, well, what, what's going to happen? And uh, I had a strong feeling that God said, 
uh, I'm calling you to do it. And I thought, what? This is ridiculous. In any case, I had prayed for confirmation and I went to a church in Brisbane. It was actually where Teen Challenge first started in the valley. And uh, it was called Glad Tidings Tabernacle way back then. And uh, I think it's Hope Centre now. Uh, So actually what happened was uh, when I went to that, they had a youth pastor speaking and he's talked about Elijah. uh, uh, Yeah, I think it's Elijah who lies on the kid who's dead and he gives the kids a second chance. And he says... He called out and he said, look, some of you think you're too old here to be doing stuff with young people, but I'm telling you, give those kids a second chance. And I went up afterwards and I said, you know, what you've been thinking about has been really speaking to me. And he looked at me and he said, yep, actually, it's to you. This message is to you. He said, hi, I could see you and I sensed that this was a message for you. And I thought, whoa. And so I, I really know that it was a strong calling to go there because, if I didn't have that strong calling, I would have run away many, many, many times while I'm here because it's been very hard. Uh, you know, like a lot of people don't really want, uh, you know, uh, people working with uh, petrol sniffers and things like that So, from a Christian perspective. So, uh, there's, you know, I got persecuted by other groups that thought that this method, the way I approach things from a Christian view uh, was not suitable and things like that. So... You know, many times I thought, oh, I've had enough, I'm getting out of here. And I was so traumatized by even those deaths around me, I could see I was, um, you know, suffering myself. But God kept uh, helping me and pulling me through. And it is a good thing that the composition of petrol has changed in Central Australia and those problems don't exist in the way that they used to. But let me ask you about an interesting question because you've worked in third world nations in Africa and if we were making a comparison to what it's like working in Central Australia, is there a way that you talk about similarities or differences or whether it's more difficult in one place or another? Yes, to be quite honest with you, that you can't compare the two. They're so different. In actual fact, I found it a lot, lot easier to work in Africa, um, probably because I'd say that their worldview is more similar to a Western worldview. Uh, they see the value of education over in Africa. I'm not trying to, to sort of rubbish the Central Australian folk, but some of them have only come off the desert, you know, in the 50s or in the 1980s. And so it's very difficult. You're working with a population who are, used to be nomadic here, uh, and over in Africa they weren't. They were settled. They knew about the importance of planting, and you had to think of the future. If you didn't, you'd die. Here, you know, it's opportunistic. You would... Uh, uh, just wander from one area to another back in the past. So you didn't have the same issues. And so here we, Westerners, come with all these great ideas that we use in Africa and wherever and try to apply them here. It just doesn't work. It's, it's, it's a completely different um, way of looking at life. And so I had to sort of, um, you know, just rethink things through. How can I best make an impact with these people, and I really think uh, it was God-given that I built relationships with these folk earlier with World Vision in Papania. Otherwise, I don't think I'd get anywhere much. I think listeners to our conversation will appreciate the way that you're candid about the way you're able to discuss the issues and the challenges that you're facing working there in Central Australia. And and you've got to have a love in your heart for these young people to be able to stick with it. Is that the case? Yes, that's right. If I didn't have a love for the people, um, you know, and then you just did it as a job, I, I think 
quite often what happens, people do come, you know, maybe for a year or two, and that's about as long as they can stick it out. But uh, this time round, <coughs> to working with the Teen Challenge, I went as a Teen Challenge outreach worker for Queensland in 2001. We got incorporated in 2004. And, you know, for me to still be here in 2016 <coughs> is a miracle in itself. Uh, because that, uh, not many people would stay that long, no, because it is so different and so difficult. I'm amazed that some of the great creativity that goes into the sort of ministry that you're involved in, when I mean, we were talking about the Shine self-esteem program and uh, other programs where you've been able to challenge those issues of uh, sniffing and suicide, uh, but I'm interested in things like a horse whisperers camp that was run by Pastor Alan Kelly from Queensland. Uh, those sorts of things are very creative and I'm sure capture the imagination, particularly of young Indigenous men. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Um, I Even meeting Pastor Alan Kelly was a, a miracle. I'd gone to a conference and I just happened to be put, talking to a guy called Pastor Shane Briggs who does Adventure Base and we'd already had him down here doing that sort of stuff. And I'm just saying, I've heard there's a guy that does this. Uh, he's a pastor, but he breaks in horses and he uses it for examples to speak into to young kids' lives. And uh, a girl was just walking by, and uh, it was uh, probably a thousand people at this conference. I'm not sure how many, but and she's walking by, and she said, "That's my pastor." And I said, "Oh, that's amazing," because <laughs> I didn't know how to contact him. And so we connected at the conference. Well, she showed me her pastor, and I said, "Look, I'd love to have you come down because the Aboriginal folk have been fantastic stockmen in the past. They love the horses." Uh, they connect really well with uh, being out in the nature. And I said, look, I think you've got a lot to offer here. And so we did have him come. Uh, the first time he came, we had six Aboriginal... Uh, uh, well, yeah, we had a group of kids with disability and most of them were Indigenous. And uh, it was just a very, very small group, but it was absolutely amazing just watching how these kids were challenged and learning to trust. I think this is something that um, a lot of Aboriginal folk in the past haven't trusted people because back in the government chucked them into the 1958-59 into government um, settlements and all tribal groups together and, you know, a lot of people died from uh, infectious diseases and stuff. And so there's a lot of mistrust. There's also a massacre that happened in 1928. So these things passed down the generations. So trust has been broken. And so with this little horse, the Brumby that he captures... Uh, and that was in itself a miracle too. Um, we had uh, the little horse. Only in three days they had one of the, the boys with a disability, uh, Aboriginal boy with a beautiful big smile, jumped on the horse and was going, number one, number one, because he was so excited. He couldn't talk very much, but he knew he was the first person to ever sit on that little horse. And it was just so exciting for him to, you know, to be challenged uh, to be able to do this. It was just really beautiful, the connection. And we've done another Horse Whisperers camp since then too as well, and we had a uh, different group of people coming through, uh, young Indigenous uh, teenage teenagers and um, a stockman, a, a, a Aboriginal guy, and, yeah, different people coming. And it was, again, really fantastic, and uh, uh, him breaking the horse in and showing how, uh, you know, like likening it to things like we need to surrender our lives to God and just like this little horse has surrendered his life over to me 
and he trusts me and it's not a hard thing to do and he puts that back into the gospel message that and when we give our lives over to Jesus it's not a hard thing to do uh, it's because you trust and you love and uh, and, and it's, it's as simple as that and so that's how he gets the message across and so that, it's fantastic actually Highly recommended. It's an amazing way to communicate, to be able to use things like that, breaking in a horse, uh, to share something of how to trust God. Uh, called to the centre, the name of your book, Vivian, I suspect there's plenty of room for more Vivian Wilsons in Central Australia to work with uh, young Indigenous men and women. Uh, do you have to have a, a special... Well, you mentioned a calling earlier, but do you need a special character to be able to work in the environment that you're working in? Well, I suppose it's really that calling that you've got. So no matter who, whoever you are, if you've got that calling and you can say, look, no, God's called me here, I'm not going to give up, and he can place you into whatever role that might be. For me, my background is in health education and, you know, now drug and alcohol issues as well. Um, so, you know, you might be called to do uh, something else like book work or... Um, uh, but it should be used in many, many different ways. God can can use you, but it's, it's that listening ear and then being obedient to that listening ear and stepping out um, when you think and believe that God's calling you and then ask for confirmation too. Be sensible in that. Get people to pray for you and to see if this is really from God uh, because if you get that strong calling, you will hang on and won't give up and won't run away. And as you say, your book is an easy read. It's entitled Called to the Centre. You can get a hold of that. Simply Google Called to the Centre. You'll be able to find how you can get it online, but also in good Christian bookstores. Vivian Wilson is the author of that book. And Vivian, just great to have you share your heartbeat with us today. Thanks so much for taking time to talk to us on 2020. Thank you too, Neil. It's been a pleasure. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.